theyeshiva.net. So I got an email in the middle of the night last night from someone who heard yesterday's shear. And I'd like to read the email with your permission. Almost verbatim. So it's taking out a few words that were personal. You see what this person wrote. Wow, wow, I feel godly revelation has descended into my soul and heart today. The mimer you learned today was earth-shattering for me. Thank you for revealing such truth that changes the lenses through which I view the world, God, and myself. I will never be able to go back and live in the world of yesterday after today's mimer. The hast. Okay, and I thank you for this. I was crazy about the class today. I grasped it first with my soul and only then with my intellect. I try to surrender myself completely to the mimer, and perhaps later I merit that it becomes also understandable. In my very narrow and limited understanding of such heavenly matters... I'm going to try to explain what I understood. I realized in the teaching of the Maimer of the Balatanya that there are two birurs, birurishin and birursheni. The first birur, which he calls bitl hayesh, is a much more predictable journey. I'm in control and I'm climbing the mountain towards Echad. I am elevating all of the nitzutzes, all of the divine sparks in me and in the world. I am comprehending the harmony and the beauty of creation, and I'm ready to surrender all yeshes, fragmentation, egotism, detachment, loneliness. I'm pursuing the ultimate surrendering of the superficiality of the world and of myself and returning all the sparks back to echad, back to oneness. But the second birur, I have to surrender control of my relationship, even with God. I no longer initiate the relationship. I have to surrender the avoid, I have to surrender the very existence of a spiritual I. Without that surrender, there might not be any space for God's real love and real awe to descend and allow me to return everything to the ultimate echad. Birurishin is powerful, but always on my terms. In the second birur, in this stage, the second birur, I can't exist. Therefore, I can't prepare for the relationship. I can't predict the relationship. I I have to live in complete surrender from all aspects of existence, including spiritual existence. The deeper the surrender of control, predictability, space, time, and knowing, I must return as a fetus of God, where all those aspects of existence of before become irrelevant because I don't exist as a separate being from God. Like in pregnancy, it's only the mother that initiates providing a nurture. Here too, it's God that brings down all the love and awe. This is not a bittle of self-expression to God, but it's a bittle that is God's expression. Can I maybe bring this down to relationships as well? There is the first level of a relationship, where I 
want to really connect to the other person and I'm ready to transcend my separateness, my insecurities, my ego, my trauma. But only after the first bearer can a relationship try to experience the second bearer. Once you really worked on the first, you can go to the second step. The second step is much, much harder. It's about surrendering the eye to otherness. The amount of trust and vulnerability needed for that, wow. To be in a relationship without needing to control it, predict it, expect it, pursue it, know it, or love how I want to love it, but instead remain open for the mystery and curiosity of the relationship and make space to allow for the other partner to express himself or herself how he or she needs to express the love that is experienced in the relationship. Ah, that makes for such a deeper, richer, and more meaningful and infinite relationship. Okay, there's a whole other section in the letter, but this is, uh, I think this is enough. Uh? Yeah. So, I was very moved by the email because, first of all, it's, you know, somebody who's, it's somebody who's trying to internalize. Uh, so, I'm going to try to today, after a lot of questions that came in during the share and after the share, and also by email some people, explore this a little more. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm relying that everybody heard the shear. If not, you can hear it again. We learned the whole section inside till the end of the, of the chapter. Tavchav Ches, page uh, 55. And, uh, when it comes to these topics, they are so profound and infinite, quite literal, that as much as we explain, it usually, Hopefully, it's a little bit of the truth of what he's saying. Is it the complete truth? No. But if it's a little bit, is there already, uh, is there already something? I'm going to accentuate the words that the Balatanya used about the first bearer and the second bearer. The bearer of the Shvatim and the bearer of Yosef. We're back to the story. They're all binding sheaves, which is amazing because they're creating unity from separateness, as the whole Mimer explains. Or what he calls birur hanitzutzis, from piru ta'achdus. And yet there has to be a second stage. And we all know that if the dream would have ended at the first stage, there would have been no hatred. It's the second stage that created an envy or a difficulty or a challenge. Now obviously the Baal is assuming here that the hatred or the negative energy was a very deep one. Meaning on one level it's much worse, but on one level it's much better. In other words, it wasn't just an envy and hatred, you know, Tati gave him uh, ice cream at Tzai Shabbos or bought him a beautiful uh, cashmere sweater with many colors, and therefore we just despise him. But rather there was really a profound uh, mistrust or distrust that was rooted in holiness, even if it was a mistake. So... When Yosef's first dream says, We're all in a field and we're binding sheaves together. But then my aluma stands up and all of your alumas, all of your bundles come and turn to mine and they bow down. And what that represents is a second bearer. Or in the Lashon of the Maimer, there's the bearer of Bria to Malchus Datsilus and then there's the bearer of Atsilus itself, Ma Datsilus. 
There's the beer of uh, Ban and there's the beer of Ma. There's Bittl Hayash and there's Bittl B'Metziyah. There's Yechudah Tata, there's Yechudah Elah. The metaphor he gives is that a person eats, drinks. Every food that we eat and every beverage that we drink has energy in it and has nutrients in it. Ultimately, the core of that energy and all nutrients, like all energy, is divinity. But it's all sparks that went through a Shvira Sakalim which is why there's a detachment in the world or a perception of it. But now the person takes that food and he's part of the echad, echad solution. He's not part of the problem, as we say, he's part of the solution. So therefore he's always bringing back things, bringing up things, unifying. You're the unifying factor of the world. But that echad is completely eclipsed in everything and everybody. The role of the Jew is to promote that oneness in everything that we do, how, how we live. Sometimes it's in difficult moments and it's in easy, easier moments and happy moments and in challenging moments. When we eat and when we exercise, when we sleep and when we're in the office, when we shmuas, when we converse, or even when we're having a disagreement with somebody. There's always, you're working towards the place of echad or the place of separateness. You promote a further shvira, further shvira sakalim, or you help heal the vessels which are really one but have been scattered as a result of the trauma of the shvira. That's all birur rishin. So he says, you daven with the energy that you ate. And the davening you say shema Yisrael, and the davening you may experience ave and yira, love and awe. Which means essentially the food now just became part of the divine. And in a very real way, in a very profound way, because that's what's allowing me to experience my love and my own. So he says, that's a marshal for Bidurishim. But to quote the Balatani, Im Still very distant from the essence of true oneness. Or as he puts it later, even a serious nefesh, of a echad, of Mesiris Nefesh, Mesiris Nefesh, Shalai Nivri Rochik Adayin Melikos. Very uh, incredible words. Mesiris Nefesh, of a Nivri Rochik Adayin Ma'oid Melikos. Mesiris Nefesh. So it never just complete surrender, complete sacrifice, complete commitment, every fiber of your being. Because the most precious thing is life, physical life to us. And for the relationship, he's ready to give that up. He says, that is Rachik Adayin Melikos. The Chiddush by Rabbi Akiva is Yasson Nafshay Be'echad, that there was an Echad from above that embraced the Echad from, the Echad from below. The Mevei Echad Be'echad, that Yechudah Elah, Tata, could be included in Yechudah Elah. And that's the difference of Yosef and his brothers. They can accomplish the first bidder, but they need Yosef to accomplish the second bidder. And when Yosef gets to this part of the dream, that's when they tell him, oh, you're going to be a king over us. Now let's say he will be a king over them. Why is that so astounding? Sometimes one brother <laughs> becomes a king. I mean, in every family where there's a king, it's usually one. That was completely untenable for them. Both words they use. Really? And they hate, they, they loathe them even more. And then the second dream, you know, exacerbates it, develops it even further. 
But let's say, yeah, I mean, it's, okay. He's Rachel's oldest son. He's Taka, their baby brother. He was born after many of the other, most of the other Shvatim. His brother Binyamin was born later, but, uh, so, so what is it? It's just, we're older than you. Kings are always older. What's bothering them exactly? So I'm going to try Be'ezer Hashem at least to give some perspective, the way at least way the way I understood it, or a little bit of how I understood it. The difference of Birudishin and Birusheni is extremely profound, and it's expressed in life constantly. And I'm going to give two examples from very mundane examples. And really maybe not so befitting to express the nimshal. But I think it's important just to be able to grasp ideas, you know, to bring it down. Even as I, the truth is all examples and metaphors, I guess it's important to say this, are really not suitable when you learn these by modern because they, uh, even though they make it interesting and engaging, they really compromise the integrity of the mimer. But, uh, like we always speak about silence, you know, the appropriate way to learn is through silence. So if everybody's ready to do that and just come here and be silent, that's really how to do it. But uh, since we live in a world of conversation, so therefore somebody, so there's the ain't man who, who speaks. Yeah, they, they used to say by Hasidim, there's what's the difference between, uh, did I say this recently? What's the difference between a party, a sermon, and a fabrengen? Yeah? So by a sermon, a rabbi's sermon, one person speaks and nobody listens. By a party, everybody speaks and nobody listens. And by a fabrengen, nobody speaks and everybody listens. Okay, There's a, this is an altavard by Hasidim. <laughs> Think about it. But we live in a world of words... We live, so we try to use words to convey silence. Did that make sense, Shalom? We try you to use words to convey silence. Okay, but that's bitter, that's only bitterdition. <laughs> bitter shady, you have to graduate from that. But how do you speak about that? Yeah. So we give Mishalom, I give Mishalom constantly, but remember that all the Mishalom at best, there's a certain way of grasping it in a particular way. And it's never typhus, the etzem and the amitis of the Indian. And the real difference here that we're addressing is perspective versus the reality on its own terms. I'm going to give a simple marshal that just gives me a little bit of a taste into the discussion, even though it's probably a very far from perfect marshal. I once went to the Grand Canyon. With my wife, I was invited to Arizona for a Shabbaton uh, in Sedona, Sedona, Arizona. So we had some time on Sunday, I think it was. It was quite a few years ago. And we went to Grand, the Grand Canyon. So I wanted to read up about it a little bit. So I read up a lot about it. I mean, relatively, with pictures and what it is and how they understand how it was formed. And, you know, the size and the dimensions and the measurements. And the beauty of it, and the appeal of it, and the history of it, and the amount of tourists that come, and how much money they make, of course. And uh, 
and I saw it and I thought I was very prepared. I was prepared. I remember we came, we arrived, and I went out of the car, and I was punked in a place where you could see a lot of it. And I saw it, and like my breath was taken away, I would say, for like 10, 20 seconds. I was in awe, mesmerized by it. Because as much as I read about it and saw the pictures, it doesn't capture what's there. I think Mark Twain said, when God created the Grand Canyon, he did not create the adjectives to describe it. So I had all the adjectives, because I read about it. But the adjectives don't describe it. They describe truth, they're not lies, but they don't describe it. What allowed me to have that experience? Not my preparation, but the experience, the reality of it. Face, standing face to face with that natural miracle of Hashem was, was for at least a few seconds, it was just overwhelming. It was like, I remember, I didn't analyze, and then you don't analyze. Because analysis is always yeshes. Analysis is always detachment. And now when you go home, you analyze, right? And it's fun to analyze, but that moment you don't analyze because you're lost. There's nobody to analyze. It, you're awestruck. Maybe for 20 seconds. I'm not going to tell you it went on for a whole day. I was not awestruck a whole day. I wish I was, but I was not. But for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, you're like, you can't say anything. It's beyond expectation. You, because whenever you say something, it means you assimilated it into your system. You internalize it on some level. Now you have critique, positive or negative. You know, you have commentary. But sometimes you're just so overwhelmed. My, I'm not there. I'm lost in the process. I can't find myself there. I'm lost there. It, it took me over. So my eye at that moment doesn't feel itself to be able to analyze and say, wow, this is beautiful. Even the wow, this is beautiful is already a symptom of a certain detachment. You know, I'm an observer and I say, wow, this is a beautiful sea. But sometimes the beauty is so startling. You're startled. You can't say it's beautiful. Why? Not because it's not beautiful. Because you have become one with it. So it's a very interesting paradox. The more we talk about something, it's usually because we're, we're detached from it. <laughs> it's funny, but that's the truth. Sometimes you don't talk about something not because you're attached, because you couldn't care less. But sometimes talking, always actually, means that there's a certain distance. A certain experience. It's an experience that I'm describing now. I'm going to give you another metaphor. This may be controversial for some people sitting or listening. and I may get some email, but it's fine. won't be the first time. And this has nothing to do with impeachment. has nothing to do with the character. has nothing to do with personality traits. has nothing to do with whether you love the president, you don't like the president. It has to do with what's called the position. Which is why in halacha, you make a bracha when you meet a king, any king, a tzaddik or the opposite of a tzaddik. The Gemara says in brachas, we make a bracha, baruch atashem alakeinu malach ha'elam, shenosan, mikvoide lebas of adam. And I know there's a debate in Poiskim about a president of the United States, if you make a bracha with Shema Malchus, a bracha without Shema Malchus. Although most Poiskim hold, you make with Shema Malchus. Because he has the ability to commute federal death sentences and to, uh, and to declare war etc. So therefore, most poets can hold you make a bracha. Now that bracha, Chazal say clearly, you make on any any melech, even a melech who's far less than benign. And there's a reason for it, because it's not about the individual person 
and his own character traits and how refined he is. It's about the position, the throne of Malchus, which elevates a person to a different different place. If you're dealing with a person who's a friend of the Jewish people and has done great things, etc. So I'm not now discussing the personality of the person. I want to say this because different people who listen to the shir are very sensitive. This is completely not a political discussion now. But I'm just an experience. I met the president, as some of you, the video, even though there weren't supposed to be videos, uh, but Baruch Hashem, there was Satma Hasidim there. And when they're there, there's going to be food and there's going to be videos. So I thought there's no video because everybody had to give in their phone. But somehow, within five minutes of the event, there were a hundred videos circulating everywhere. And I said, ah, the Hasidim have done it again successfully. The Litvisha were behaving and the Hasidim were taking videos. That was basically what was going on. It was an interesting phenomenon. You know, those who follow the rules and those who figure out uh, ways around the rules. So, uh, you know, I was, pre- I prepared, I prepared my comments. I prepared what I want to share with him. And I understood it's an important moment. In uh, some ways, maybe even a historic moment, but certainly a very important moment. I was nervous, uh, naturally, and uh, I was also excited. But none of my preparation compared to the experience of standing with the president face-to-face on the podium, introducing him. It was something that was uh, incredibly powerful because you're dealing with a person who God has entrusted for whatever reason, whether you like it or you don't like it, as being the most powerful person in the world, what they call the leader of the free country. And again, this is really irrelevant of your opinion of him. Uh, even though he likes me. Uh, and uh, especially, no question, that as a Jew, my personal belief is that his what he has done for Israel and the Jewish people is incredible and historic and will yet go down in history. That's my personal opinion, including the last assassination of uh, arch-terrorists Salamani, even though from our media in America you would think that Iran was uh, the most uh, peace-loving, uh, beautiful country in the world. And Salamani was, the question is if he's a Tzadik Gomer, Tzadik Sheine Gomer, Birishin, Birishini, and that, you know, whatever. But that's uh, that's a whole other parsha. It's not uh, for such early morning discussion, even though everybody woke up. And in my opinion, I can't say it, it's exactly the same, because I don't think it's exactly the same. But criticizing this would be like criticizing somebody who shot and assassinated Hitler in 1925 or 1930. Again, I'm not comparing people, but uh, you're dealing with with arch-terrorists who want uh, rivers of blood flowing in the streets of Americans, of Jews, and so forth. This is just my perspective. And I have to tell you that as I met him, and I made the bracha there, and I spoke a few words, I literally started to cry. And I didn't expect that. I'm meeting a president, very important. And then I realized that there was an energy that overtook me that was beyond what I could have expected. Not because I didn't do my homework, but because some things, as long as you're initiating them, it's just your experience of it, your understanding of it. But then when you come face to face 
with the actual person, with the actual moment, with actual energy. It's a very different experience. And you almost, you, you, I, I, like you lose yourself in it. And it's not something you can describe in words. People describe this at the chuppah of their child suddenly, you know, sometimes, you know. They prepare and you prepare for the wedding and you, you hopefully have to prepare the finances and you have been to chuppahs. You know exactly what it's like. But then there's a certain experience. Sometimes it happens at a bris of a child. All these things, what is it? It's not that you didn't know. You knew everything, but you really knew nothing. And the reason you knew nothing is because everything you knew was your understanding, your appreciation, your preparation. But what happens when that energy that is beyond you, you know, smacks you in the face, that wind blows into you? It's a whole different, it's a whole different moment. Very different moment. And the two are not even comparable. Mamish not comparable. And this is not because of a chisarin. It's just the reality that now I come face to face with the energy itself, with the truth itself, not my understanding of it and my experience of it, which is always limited to my own experience. And when that happens, very often there's, no, there's literally no words. There's a moment that you're just, you're, you have to be lost in the process. And if you're not, it means it's not that. Because my eye is not there anymore to observe, even to understand, even to be affected, even to be transformed, even to be excited. Excitement is always, you know, wow, this is exciting. It's clear, it's clear what I'm saying. The example is that you're saying, generally we talk, like you take the word out of the author over here, is that you surrender yourself and you're, you're, you're doing some vigil and therefore you can, you're able to receive. And like the example that you bring this morning, there doesn't seem to be a beer taking place. It seems to be automatic just by the, you know. Oh, oh, yeah. So, so I'm just, I, I want to, I'm, I'm giving these mashalim, and again, very imperfect, uh, very imperfect mashalim. Uh, maybe it's even comical to say that uh, my meeting with Trump is Birusheni. I know, I know the, <laughs> but I'm giving these mashalim, I think they're important because let's now take it to the nimshal in Avodah Hashem. Bittel Hayesh is very, very deep. And it's always important when he goes to a second level and he's mavatl the first level, <laughs> not to be at mavatl. <laughs> Meaning, because the whole maimer till now, he discussed the first bitl. <laughs> so, Zaltarebbe, yeah, he goes to the next level and suddenly the first is like, eh, oich me yiddishkeit. It's important to have a perspective that he's not saying that. In other words, sometimes you learn about a new thing. So like the first thing, oh, yes, it's nothing. It's just a joke. Bitl ayesh is a joke. <laughs> It's not the chas v'shalom. It's very, very deep. Elamai, he comes to a second level, so he brings out what the first level is missing. I'm just saying you have to understand that. What's the first? The first Indian is everything in my Avedis Hashem is coming from me, which is exactly the way it's supposed to be. My mind, my heart, my soul, my understanding. I learn, I try to understand, I work on myself, I open myself, and I'm not talking working on myself in an egotistical way, working on myself in, in, a, in a humble way, in an authentic way. That's what Bittl Ayesh means. And still, it's not Bittl B'Metzius. Why is it not Bittl B'Metzius? Because it's great, but it's all me. <laughs> it's all me. It's my understanding of Bittl, it's my understanding of Achdos, it's my understanding of Nitzutas, it's my understanding of Elikos. 
And yeah, I'm opening up to it. I'm open, and it's affecting my behavior and my words and my speech and my action and my attitude. And it's incredible. It's an incredible level of refinement. It's called bitter. It means refinement. It's refinement. Yes, you open yourself up to refinement. My horizons are broadened and therefore humbled. And that's a tremendous journey. But Dr. Rebbe asks one question. What does that have to do with truth? What does it have to do? There's another Indian, and that is that truth summons you. Echad ha'emes summons you. Hake, let's give the marshal that this, uh, the email writer wrote in relationships. Again, very imperfect metaphor, but, but a good metaphor. In a relationship, any relationship, especially in close relationships, Parents and children, very close friends, children and parents, siblings, spouses. Yeah. You want to work on your relationship. Yeah. So you open yourself up. You try to understand. You try to empathize. You want to connect. All doing your own work. You're doing your own work the way you see it, the way you understand it. But everybody understands that that's missing something. What's missing? What's missing is there's the relationship, the way you're affected actually by the other. It's not I initiated it and I created it and I created, you know, you created a whole plan and how it's going to work out. But then there's the impact of how you're affected by the other. Now, sometimes a person may not reach that place. There's something fundamentally Deeply missing here. It's the energy of the other that affects me, that transforms me, that overtakes me. And that's a whole, a whole different experience. When you speak in Avaidas Hashem, Bittal Hayash is always that the world and the person working in the world recognizes the truth of Achtos and therefore is Mevatal the Yesh. So why is that not Bittal B'Metzias? And the answer is, because by definition, it's always on my terms. That's what I have to work with. I have my heart to work with, my language to work with, my brain to work with. And even though I'm telling myself that it's about transcendence, but I'm telling myself it's about transcendence. And therefore, the transcendence is a personal, subjective experience, which doesn't make it bad. It makes it wonderful. And even Mesiris Nefesh, so Mesidus Nefesh is I reach a conclusion that there's certain things that are so valuable to me and are so truthful that I'm ready to give up everything else for that relationship. So even that, one has to be sensitive to the fact that the Mesidus Nefesh of a Nivra, in the words of the Balatanya, is Rachik Ma'oid Me'echad Ha'emes. What does it have to do with the ultimate truth on truth's terms, on infinity's terms, that is completely beyond my experience of it and my understanding of it and my appreciation of it? And how can I ever retouch that? And the answer is, I can't touch that on my own. You're right. I can't touch that on my own. Because if I'm touching it, it's my touch. (laughs) It has my touch. It has my imprint, which by definition is limited to my prism, my perspective, my understanding, as sophisticated, as brilliant, as spiritually sensitive as it is. What works very well about the I think, is who said about Rabbi Akiva. 
his whole life was a life of mysterious snake. Obviously, he was chasing transcendent. The one moment in his life where he was really surrendering to an unknown, that he could not have any ongoing continuation. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a moment. She says, even the, she says, that's right, even the Ava and Yira of Tfila. It's bitter on the So what did I do with the Nitzitzis? I brought the Nitzitzis to a place where my yesh was bottle. You're not going to call that bitl b'metzias. Why? Because bitl b'metzias means my whole metzias becomes one with the source. And here, it's my understanding of it. It's my appreciation of it. So therefore, in the bitl, there's still a yesh. Or what he calls, it's Yechudah Tata, not Yechudah Elah. It's unity, but it's the way unity is experienced through my identity. Identity initiates the unity, and therefore the unity is still limited and defined by my identity. Now one cannot go to Birushani without Birushan, because I first have to work through myself. I have to work it through. But then there comes a moment where he says, through your avaviyira, nimshechulay dechilu rechimu melmaila. God decides that his tr- in his truth, he wants to reach out to you. <laughs> it's passive, but it's not passive in the sense of passive like uh, you're not, you know, you're passive, you're not really present. It's like it's the ultimate transformation. But the ultimate transformation is not one that I can initiate. But, yes. The most active thing you have to do at that moment is not become a stida to it. <laughs> that's the, and that's the hardest thing. It's not on your terms anymore. And that moment is incredibly, I want to say the word powerful, but that would be the wrong word, because it's not powerful anymore. But it's in, it's incredibly transformative. Yeah. The one mistake this person made in the email was, finished, ah, that makes for such a deeper, richer, and much more meaningful relationship. <laughs> that ruined it. <laughs> you see, they went back to bitter edition. I understand why. We're tempted to go there. Rich, deep, meaningful. Those are words of bitterition. Yeah. Right. But God didn't create the adjectives. And I don't think I'm going to create the adjectives in this year. <laughs> it's not, he didn't create adjectives by definition is not what we're talking about. Adjectives are wonderful. We can't live without adjectives. How do you communicate without adjectives? I want to make a living if there were no adjectives. <laughs> is itself a verb which is a verb of bittel, meaning not that you yeah. do something to Birshini. Yeah. Allow Birshini yeah. to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever I do to make Birshini is not going to be Birshini. Because it's, again, it's me climbing the mountain. You, you can cl- <laughs> Yeah, a person, how high can a climb? There's people who can climb Mount Everest. Tremendous feat. Sir Edmund Hillary was the first, and he was followed by many. People climb the Himalayas, other great mountains. And it's an extra feat. Is, is being yeah. a gift from above? Yeah. 
It's a gift. It's completely a gift. How do I climb a mountain? First of all, you need to be fit and athletic and train and have the right gear and eat right and realize how to deal with different conditions and hone your climbing skills and be able to deal with the dangers. It's incredible training. How high are you going to get? So even a success story, you're going to get to the top of the mountain. Now you say, but I want to climb to the moon. (laughs) I want to climb to Mars. You can climb to the top of the mountain. For this, you need a spaceship to come (laughs) and transport you there. Why is it? So we all understand. As far as I climb with my climbing, my feet and my body and my skills and my athletic prowess and my genius and my courage and my fearlessness, it's amazing. So I can climb 32,000 feet, 50,000 feet, which is an incredible experience. But I'm climbing, that's, I'm climbing. Then there comes a certain point, I hit the top, (laughs) I can't climb any further. Something has to take me out now of that realm. What does this mean spiritually? It means spiritually all growth we often talk about is incredible important. It's the growth that I initiate through my mind and through my heart. Now I ask you, what's the distance of the top of Mount Everest, yeah? <laughs> to the moon. And what about to the sun? And what about to Mars? And what about to other planets? And how much further is the top of Mount Everest? How much closer is it, yeah? <laughs> to a planet or a star that's 4 billion light years away. How much closer top of my nose did that from right here? Right here, 24 Shea Road, Muncie, New York, 10952. <laughs> it could be over there even further, right? But the point is, relative to infinity, relative to infinity, the grounds of 24 Shea and the top of Mount Everest a bottle. So you say, but what do I understand? This guy is doing this for 50 years. He's a hero. You're right. He gives a script. What's up with infinity? So you're going to be at Mavatl? You're to be at Mavatl. It's an incredible talent, incredible skill, incredible discipline, incredible uh, uh, resolve, incredible physical courage, emotional courage. Of course. Huh? Only Yechidim do it, Yechidim is gula, right? But, 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 okay, it, it's Gewaldic, Gewaldic. Let's call it Bitlayesh. <laughs> you have to challenge yourself in a very deep way. I don't mean every mountain climber is Mavatal the Yesh, sometimes the other way, but you, you understand the word. But what's up this with, what, what does it have to do with, 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 with touching the infinite expanse of the universe and beyond the universe, which we can't even talk about? It's a completely different uh, Indian. You, you, and over there, you're not even any closer in a way. Sometimes you could be further because that's the kind of you're on top of a mountain. Sometimes in a way, you could be further. And there's nothing I could do with my koichas. I have a brilliant mind. So what am I supposed to do after the mountain? How am I, how am I climbing to the moon? What am I doing? There's a vehicle that has to basically come and transport me. And nothing I do before can initiate it. I could prepare for it. I can try to understand it. So yeah, there's no bitter shani without bitter 
Because bitter sheni without bitter dishin is like you're clueless. <laughs> Transporting you to where if you like you don't understand. You take a you take a child, uh, take a baby to the Grand Canyon. He won't get in this ball. <laughs> There's the first the bitter dishin, which is the avoda of your own bitlayash. Uh, the same is true in a relationship. There's what you prepare and you expect and you understand and you anticipate. And then there is, and here it's maybe on a more simpler level, there's really opening yourself up to the other. And this is so important. It's really not about me. Like relationships, are relationships about your feelings? Of course, your feelings are very, very important. But is that what it is? There's a whole other reality. There's, there's Mamrish, a whole other reality. There's the truth of another person. And we all, and I guess that's what this person meant about a rich relationship. The depth of a relationship is when you open yourself up to the truth of the other person, irrelevant of your own truth. Can you do that? You know how sometimes spouses will have conversations and they'll always have to interpret what the other person is saying. Can you stop interpreting what the other person is saying? It's like, yeah, but you mean this, but I, it's not, it's not about your, your interpretation is important as your experience of it. But can I ask myself, yeah? You know, what? Yeah, but not be quiet in a passive way and give up like, here he goes again, here she goes again. But I'm not talking about, that's why I'm, uh, this is not passive, this is very active. Passive, well, passive, you're passive, you're more upset. It's actually passive, what do they call it? Uh, Passive aggressive. I'm not talking about passive aggressive. I'm talking about a bitle. It's very hard. It's, try it, you'll see. <laughs> the Lubavitch Rebbe was once fabrenging, and he said these words. He said, "Bidur hamidus is zeir To work on your midus is very hard. And he smiled. He says, "Proof this is what is then. Try it, and you'll see that I'm right. Try it, and you'll see that I'm right." Yeah. And this is even, we're talking two humans, we're not talking about infinity, you're not going to the moon, maybe sometimes they want to say Mars and Venus, or maybe, yeah, we are, maybe it is a good marshal, Mars and Venus coming together. Yeah. And it's not about, I'm upset, I'm not upset, I'm excited. It's really the texture of the other affecting you. Again, these are all little mishalim that don't capture exactly the point, but they all represent this nakud. Why are the shvatim so upset? With this. The Balatanya is going to say, because they understood that Yosef is also from Elam Habriya. They couldn't understand that Yosef is from Elam Hatzalus. And here, and this I'm going to conclude with, uh, here we come to a very profound and sensitive idea in the world of Chsidus. And I know for some people this is a very sensitive idea, and you'll soon see why, and you'll also understand the issue that we're dealing with. What does it mean they have to bow down to Yosef? They have to bow down to Yosef? There's a big issue here. Avram Avinu refused to believe that we bow down to people. He broke his father's, his father's idols. And Avram Avinu was, according to the Medrash, he was cast into a fire for this. This was the revolution of monotheism. Yaakov Avinu protests Yosef's dream. Oh, we're all going to come bow down to you? But isn't there a bigger issue here? I'm saying, Yosef, suddenly there's people bowing down to people? 
their sheaves to my sheaves? Forget about you being a king. You're having these uh, grandiosa Napoleonic uh, ambitions of world conquest. Okay. So somebody has to give you a par patch and straighten you out and don't think you own the world. But one, one second, this whole model seems very contradictory to Genesis. We bow down to God. We don't bow down to sheaves and we don't bow down to people. No one brings that up. The issue here is if Yosef, yeah, Yosef, not. Huh? No, where am I going? <laughs> huh? <laughs> so the question here is, this is really the Nakuda here, or at least one of the Nakudas here. The role of a real Rebbe, which everybody knows from the Balshamtiv, the Talmidiha Balshamtiv, the students of the Balshamtiv had that concept in a very real way, the concept of Rebbe and Hasidim and so forth. And this the Shvatim struggled a lot with. Is their struggle authentic or inauthentic? It's authentic. Is it correct or incorrect? And the answer to that is a very, very profound answer. It depends. If Yosef is from Bria, then they say this is a terrible concept you're introducing into Judaism. You are destroying the oneness that's at the core of Judaism. You're creating this hierarchy that ultimately leads to corruption, manipulation, and exploitation. You hear? It's true. What do we say in Animal Farm? We're all equal, but some people are more equal than others. If, 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 if God is real and we're really one, I got that. That's that. Oneness. Yes. We're good. But we come stage B. What's happening here? And who needs it? Who needs it? It's beautiful. The Maimon was very nice. The Maimon was very nice. So here you have a powerful and subtle idea, and maybe one of the most elegant expositions on this entire topic of what a real Rebbe is, what a real disciple is, what the role of a Rebbe in the world, in, in the world of Judaism is, throughout all of history, from Moshe Rabbeinu, but especially accentuated in the world of Chassidus. Yeah. And it really boils down to one issue. Oneness is amazing, but Bidur Shani, if you're dealing with birurishin, it's ma'alma ma'lumen. If you're looking for birusheni, they must have Yosef HaTzadik. But the only way it's a birusheni is if Yosef HaTzadik is in Atzilus, not in Bria. If Yosef HaTzadik is in Bria, then they look at him and say, you're going to be a king over us? You're basically taking the vision of Judaism and destroying it. And it's this dual understanding. If Yosef is from Bria, then it's not Birusheni. If it's not Birusheni, so now you're creating a split in Birushin, which is going to lead to the decomposition of the entire vision of Judaism. Okay, so you want to be like everybody else. We get it. So go become a real estate tycoon 
Hopefully you'll make billions of dollars and everybody will worship you. This has no place in the family of Yaakov Avinu. Hamolech timlech If Yosef is Atzilus, we have to understand what that means. Yosef lives in that world of Birusheni, in the world of Echad HaEmes. Imagine I'm in that state of the, those 20 seconds of the Grand Canyon perpetually. <laughs> Ah, yeah. Not just I am a conduit. The I ceases to be an I and only becomes a conduit. Bittul b'hametzias. Not that the yesh is bottle. Not I'm spiritual. So then Yosef can bring his brothers to a place where bitter rishon could never bring him. And if you understand this. You'll understand all of the challenges and all of the blessings and all of the issues and all of the traumas and all of the truth that exists in this whole sugya. Have a wonderful day. Remind me. Yaakov Teferis. The Muz de Yoikna. He connected to his father's Teferis. Right. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.